stand for the reading of God's Word. Chapter 12 of the Gospel of John, we'll be starting at verse 9, I'm just going to read to verse 11 and we'll get into our study. It says, now a great many of the Jews knew that he, that Jesus was there, and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Father, once again, we just pray for your word, that you would guide us through it, and that you would prepare us for every good work we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. So us, just like Lazarus, we've been delivered from death. And so really what you must ask then is, how then must we live? How then what must we conduct our lives based upon not only what Jesus has done, but what he has delivered us from? As we saw in our study, there's no doubt about it that Lazarus was dead. It's well known. People are coming from far and wide to see it. And people are also coming to faith in Jesus Christ because of it. Lazarus? Lazarus is exhibit A, if you will. Not really exhibit A. There's been many more exhibits. But lends testimony to the power of Christ and who he is. Now, I would imagine if you were guilty of a crime, the first order of business would be to hide the evidence. To hide the smoking gun. We've seen in our society successful and unsuccessful attempts to deal with the evidence. O.J. Simpson, during his trial, if you remember, very successful. They never found the murder weapon. Matter of fact, about a month ago, or well, it's more than that, about three or four months ago, they were demoing the property and they found a knife and they thought it may be it, although it, it wasn't. They're still looking for that evidence. Unsuccessful? Well, in the news a few years ago, there were the baseball players who stood before Congress and swore up and down that they didn't do steroids, but then evidence was presented through the people that they got the steroids from, and they were proven to be guilty. Then there's the unknown. The unknown? Yeah. We just saw it recently. Hillary wiped her hard drive, and as she wiped her... Is that me? Okay. I just heard something. Um... As she wiped her hard drive, you just don't know what was on there. You don't know if she was guilty. And so it's left to interpretation. It's even difficult, more difficult to do today with the more uh, sophisticated means that we have of examining evidence and gathering evidence. They even did a whole TV series on it. What, how long has CSI been on TV? I don't think it's on TV anymore, but for quite a while, 15 years or whatever it might have been. Another dynamic of this is, well, it's only necessary to hide the evidence when you're guilty. If you're evidence, I'm sorry, if you're innocent, evidence, if you are evidence, if you're innocent, evidence is your friend. Those who've been found innocent through DNA can attest to that. Well, in John's Gospel, we've seen Jesus' claims to deity. He has proclaimed himself to be God. We saw in John 10, Verse 30, I and my Father are are one. And so he's equating himself with God. Now the Jewish religious community have come up against him claiming that what he says is untrue. And so John has been presenting the evidence. Again, the beginning he made his claim concerning Christ. And now he's proving who Christ is. And throughout the Gospel of John, we're not only looking at the claims of Christ, We're also looking at the works of Christ, the miracles of Christ. 
And so we know by being able to study the, the Word of God, if a man claims to be God, and let's just say you could have Christ before you, and is Jesus Christ God? Well, his word would be powerful just through his spoken word because we're told in Colossians that he was there. All that was created was created by him. You go back to Genesis chapter 1. He created by his spoken word. This man would have powerful words. This man would do powerful works as well. So there would be a combination of the two that would lend towards who he truly is. But again, religious community, because of the hardness of their heart, because of their flesh and pride, they're currently plotting to put him to death. But now there exists a really big problem, a live body of evidence that points towards the reality of who he is. It gives testimony and even proves Jesus' claim. It's this man, Lazarus. This man, Lazarus, and it's never disputed anywhere in here that this man was dead. So everybody agrees that he was dead, but he no longer is. And so this evidence is too big to ignore. Lazarus is overwhelming evidence that backs up the things that Jesus has said. And so as we look at this, what we need to see, because I didn't want to get into the triumphal entry tonight and and, and, and look at what we're looking at tonight. It would have been too long, but I, I really believe that we have an important concept here for our own lives. Because you need to equate yourself, we need to equate ourselves with this man, Lazarus. He was dead, and, and he was gone. But through the Word of God, just through the spoken Word of God, he was brought back to life. And now as he is brought back to life, here he is, he's sitting with Christ at this meal, and what's happening? through the evidence or through the witness of this man, just his mere existence, physically being with Christ, that's a testimony that is ministering to people, and many people are coming to Christ. But then you also have the other end of the stick, if you will. You have those that are plotting to kill him. And we pretty much have experienced the same thing because of our relationship with Christ. Because he has brought us back to life, as we were formerly spiritually dead. And now as we are with Christ, as we come and we fellowship together corporately and individually in the Word of God, and because we have this relationship with Christ, it's through that relationship that others are able to come to Christ. And so you've got that one side of people coming to Christ, but then you have the other side of people not so much physically killing you, at least not here now in this country, but at least trying to silence you. Because we want to put this man to death. We've seen this in the previous chapters. But now we've got this overwhelming evidence that this man is able to do miracles, some pretty amazing things. People are looking to him. People are coming to him. What are we going to do? Well, again, their solution, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, is to kill Christ. Now it's to kill Lazarus. Now there was identical an identical situation that occurred. Turn over to Acts chapter 4. And you still see the hard-heartedness of those who refuse to acknowledge Jesus Christ and what he is able to do. Now, there was Peter and John. Obviously, Peter and John were well aware of the Lazarus situation. And the great things that Jesus did, he had told his disciples, his apostles, that you will do greater things as well. And we see one of the great things that they were able to do, one of the things that had a lot of similarities 
to how Jesus worked miracles and all, but just through the spoken word, this man, this lame man that we see in chapter 3, he was able to walk once again. Now, Peter and John are brought before the council in verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, Now as they spoke to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word, I've got that underlined here, who heard the word, believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Notice in verse 4, it doesn't say, and as many who saw this man healed. That was a sign that pointed towards the opportunity to hear the word of God, and it's through the word of God that people were saved. It wasn't through the miracle that people are saved. It's through the word of God that people are saved. And so we've got the same reaction. Can you imagine being the religious leaders there? We keep killing people and they keep coming back to life. Now, we didn't kill Lazarus, but Lazarus was dead, but he came back to life. Now, we killed Christ and now he's come back to life. And now we've got to deal with these guys. Verse 5, And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. Now, if you recall, they're making quite a profit off of the temple. This event occurred within the temple. The high priest, kind of like the mafia, if you will, kept it all in the family in order to keep all of the finances within the family. Verse 7, And when they had set them in the midst, John and Peter, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. And again, that's a key. This is a man who is filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a man who was an absolute fool in the Gospels. But now this is the mightiest weapon that God has in his arsenal. Not so much a Peter, but a person, a person who was filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. If you're filled with anger, you're under the influence of anger. If you're filled with alcohol, under that influence of alcohol. But if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So the things that Peter is about to say are from God, directed by God through the Holy Spirit to the people who are there. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means has he been made well? Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and notice how he gets this little part, in whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given amongst men by which we must be saved. So look what Peter does once again. You, you've got the miracle. And he says, this man who stands before you, so I assume the man who was healed was standing right there. And so he does not focus on his work. He doesn't focus upon the miracle. That's already achieved its purpose. He's now got the attention of these people. Lazarus sitting with Jesus has the attention of the people. God will give you opportunity to have the attention of the people. What are you going to do with it? Well, just in those last couple of verses that I read, what is he doing? He, he, he's laying out the salvation message. There's no other name 
under heaven by which men must be saved. And so right away, he's going to the gospel message to see them saved, not even so much to defend himself or even explain the healing. Verse 13, Now when they saw saw the boldness of Peter and John, another parallel here with Lazarus, and I pray with you, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, and it's like a light bulb goes off, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Is there people in your life who realize that you have been with Jesus? Or maybe that you are with Jesus, that you're continually with Jesus. Are you undercover or are you up front? To be up front, everybody's going to know. They'll probably reject you, the majority of the people, but nonetheless, they'll turn to you when the difficult days enter in, when the hard time comes. See, they'll always recognize you as being with Jesus. In the unbeliever's life, at times, it's going to be a negative for them. It's going to be a positive for them. But nonetheless, there's always that opportunity when they know that we have been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. The idea is is that the evidence is overwhelming here. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred amongst themselves, saying, now they got an issue here, what shall we do with these men or to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. So you see the, the foolishness here. This is a miracle that they acknowledge, but they're still looking past the miracle. Now, we look past the miracle to the word of God, but they're looking past the miracle to the wisdom or the foolishness of man. Verse 17, But so that it spreads no further amongst the people, let us severely threaten them, and from, that from now on they speak to no man in his name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because the people, because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. What happens? What happens when it gets hard? You see Lazarus, and imagine put yourself in the place of Lazarus. There was the sickness, obviously, hard thing. There was the death. Where was Lazarus for those four days? I don't have a clue where he was. The Bible doesn't say. Was he just non-existent? Was he in darkness? Was he in Hades? I just don't know. The Bible doesn't say. He wasn't in heaven because Christ had yet to pay the price to open the gates of heaven. But nonetheless, he's back to life. And now he's sitting with Christ. And again, you can imagine the excitement of it all. Not just his excitement, because he wasn't really there the majority of this, but... There's the excitement of his sisters, the excitement of his friends, and all these things. And people are coming to Jesus, and it's all really good. Then people want to kill him. And again, we should be able to relate to that. Doing a good work. I mean, what is it that we do? What is it that we do? What is it that we say that people so want to shut us up? What is it that that we do that even the government nowadays is completely contrary to us? What is it that we really do? I mean, we preach love. We should be doing good works. We should be model, even ideal citizens. What is it that we do that is so bad? I mean, can anybody tell me? I mean, I know there's conviction and all that, but that's a work of the Holy Spirit. What is it that we do? There's nothing that we do. It's just that, 
they love light or darkness rather than light. And unfortunately, when the lights get turned on, man either scatters or he gets angry. Go ahead and turn back to the Gospel of John. It's been said that when a lie is first told in order to cover it up, many more lies need to be told to a degree that it mushrooms into so many more. Well, apparently it seems to be the same with at least having this heart of murder. Again, we saw earlier in John chapter 11 that they wanted to kill Jesus, but now they only wanted to kill Jesus, but now they're going to have to get Lazarus because he might talk and he's a physical evidence of who Christ is and what Christ has done. His mere presence just simply speaks volumes. But later on, they've got to extend that. They'll have to kill Stephen because he gives this testimony. What did it say that it did? It cut them to the heart. He ended it at Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, he saw Jesus Christ standing in order to welcome him into the throne room of God. And then they're going to have to go through one by one and kill all the apostles. They never really got to John, but all the others were martyred for their faith. And then throughout the course of history, thousands gave their lives to the Lord. I looked this up on the internet so you can take it with a grain of salt as far as accuracy, but I would imagine it's probably not too far off. It said in 2015, a Christian was martyred for their faith every five minutes. Every five minutes. And that I, I, I would say that's probably pretty accurate or even maybe even low with all the, the believers that are being killed in the Middle East right now. And we see these people who are willing to stand for their faith. They're willing to stand in that gap. They're willing to rise up when their lives are going to be required of them. We're not a lot of times willing to rise up even though they'll probably just make fun of us or even just ignore us. Are we as willing to live for our faith as some are to die to their faith? And again, it's things that we have to consider. Are we willing to sit publicly with Jesus I mean, this man has been touched in a miraculous way. Lazarus, you've been touched in a miraculous way. Christ has done an absolute miracle within your life. Are you willing to sit with Christ in the public square to be seen with him, to have that fellowship with him for the effects of that it will have in the lives of others? As Lazarus did that, God used that to do a great work. Again, verse 11, because of account of him, many of the Jews went away and they believed in Jesus. And so we see this man, Lazarus. Well, last week in the first part of chapter 12, we see all the cast of characters that were there. And Judas, we saw this man who had a hardened heart. He was more concerned about the funds than he was about the Lord. Martha, an example of a content servant. No longer is she upset. No longer is she worried. No longer is she perplexed. Now she's just happily serving the Lord. And then you have Mary. Mary is there worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ in a very intimate way. And then we see, or what we see in Lazarus is an example of a witness for this amazing work that God is able to do. The physical evidence of who Jesus Christ is. And again, that's what our testimony is all about. That's what living the changed life of a born-again believer is all about. As we said earlier to start, it's November. We're entering into the Christmas season. We've got Thanksgiving coming up. Most of us will be going into unsaved households. We'll be going off with unsaved friends, wherever it might be. 
How do you know this isn't the time that as you're sitting there, and if you're sitting there at that table with Jesus, that many will, will, when they leave that day, will go away now believing in Christ. And just simply, it can't just simply be based upon your manner of life. That's really what the, the majority of what we're going to be talking about. But it also has to depend upon the spoken word, because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But nonetheless, we need to see these times as opportunities. Within the church, I've heard the arguments. Now, was Christ really born in December? Who cares? He's given us an opportunity for a witness. We're going to have our Christmas play, our Christmas special. We usually have it the Sunday before Christmas. Christmas is on a Sunday this year, but we're still going to have it the Sunday before. We're going to have an extended time of worship. We're going to be having a choir. We're going to be having a a children's play. And all it's designed to do is to not entertain the sheep, but it's to get the goats into the pen. Get the goats into the pen to be able to get the gospel message out. And and even if they just leave this place knowing that we've been with Jesus, maybe not being able to define it, then at least we've done something. But I also pray that we would see some come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ just simply through our humble efforts. And again, you look at this example of, of Lazarus. He was dead. He couldn't do anything about his situation. Christ entered in. Now Christ has got him in an exalted position. He's dining with the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw that, that previously. And now people are coming to see this great work that God has done. He's Christ's poster child for who Christ is. The same as you. People should be looking at your life and seeing what Christ has done, and it should cause them to wonder. It should cause them to should cause them to at least inquire. And if they are, it should cause us to be able to give testimony to who Christ is. We're living in a country that is more headed towards this pharisaical and Sadducee attitude that we see here in the scriptures than it is towards a holy nation. We're going further and further away from being a holy nation. And what do I see in the Christian community is whining and complaining about it. And we can whine and complain all the way to people go to hell, and it's not going to do one bit, bit, of, uh, uh, bit of good. I don't see anywhere that we're supposed to... Does anybody know any whining and complaining verses? No, we're supposed to be out there sharing the gospel. We, all, we know that the world is going to hell. We can't expect the world to be like the church. That's just not going to happen. Just to expect, okay, we're going to go out there and we're going we're, we're gonna to protest abortion. And think that the world's going to change their mind and just have abortion go away? It's all going to come through people getting right with Christ. And when people get right with Christ, it's then that we are going to see these things change. Now again, I don't know, but I've heard it somewhere. I don't even remember where now. We don't see the United States of America in the book of Revelation. I pray that it's because revival came upon our land. It's because the church rose up. Just as Lazarus, people saw that we were truly with Christ. And the magnitude, we were the poster children, the magnitude of what God is able to do. And they came, and they saw, and they received. I have to believe that that's possible. I have to believe that that's even probable. Because if I truly believe that, the ability of what God can do through sold-out people, then there's always going to be hope in that, and there's going to be motivation in that. What we'll see for the rest of our studies, what we'll look at, is three examples of how Lazarus' ministry relates to ours. 
And first we see the delicate nature of the evidence. Verses not, or verse 9, how a great many of the Jews knew that he was there and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but they might also see Lazarus whom he had raised from the dead. Starting in John's Gospel, we looked at the witness of John the Baptist. Now we can see John the Baptist in contrast here to Lazarus. In John the Baptist, you have no miracles and you have no miraculous works. In John the Baptist, you only have his words and his words bringing people to Jesus. In John chapter 10, verses 40 through 42, and he, Jesus, went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first, and there he stayed. Then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true and many believed in his name. Now with Lazarus, you have no words. And since you have no words, it's got to be about works. But the problem with our works is, is they are as filthy rags. There's no spiritual value in our works. And, but what we have here in Lazarus is the display or the reflection of Christ and what Christ has done. So those people didn't come just to see Jesus. They came to see Lazarus but in essence, what were they seeing? They were seeing Jesus. They were seeing Jesus reflected from this man through this new life that was given because nobody becomes born again by Lazarus. It's all about Jesus Christ and belief in Jesus Christ. And so we have Lazarus, a man who has no words, nowhere do we see or hear or read anything that Lazarus says, but people are still coming to Jesus. So Lazarus, as well as ourselves, are to exhibit a new life in Christ. Not that these works would be ours, but these works, even as we saw in Peter, but these works would be that of the Holy Spirit, that we would exhibit the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Well, consider this. How has God supernaturally gifted you to be a Lazarus? Because God has supernaturally gifted everybody who is a born-again believer, he's given him spiritual gifts for the purpose of you being a Lazarus. And then, secondly, once you figure that out, or maybe you've already figured it out, I hope you've already figured it out, how are you exercising that gift? How is it? Because you can hinder the Holy Spirit. How do we hinder the Holy Spirit? We hinder the Holy Spirit by being supernaturally gifted by the Holy Spirit and not doing that which God has called and enabled us to do. So everybody who's a born-again believer must, must know, because God's not going to hide this from you, must know how they have been gifted and must follow through and exercise that gift. This church will never be all that it can be until we have everybody in it exercising their spiritual gifting. But just think about what would God do? What will God do through a church where every member is supernaturally exercising their spiritual gift, or exercising their spiritual gift which God has given for supernatural works? And so we can so be of the mindset, either humble or of false humility. Well, who am I? But you can go through the Bible from cover to cover, and you can see everybody that God used, they weren't special. Again, Moses... God even had to take him being special, living in the palace, and make him something that wasn't special at all. It was a 40-year process, and then 
he was prepared to be used for what God had for him. And so, yeah, Lazarus, we have no words, but we do have new life. But what happens in our lives when the evidence has been tampered with? Tampered with? Remember Grissom? Again, I haven't watched CSI for years, but if the evidence has been tampered with, it's defiled and it's called into question. So you have to keep the evidence clear. If it's been tampered with, it becomes corrupt and no longer useful. So if Lazarus is sitting here at this meal and he's knocking back the wine and he gets drunk and he's yelling and cussing and everything else, if he's living like the world that the world does as a banquet such as this, what is he doing? He's tampering with the evidence. He's corrupting the evidence. What are we doing with our manner of life? What are you doing with your manner of life? What are you doing with the evidence that God has entrusted with you that points to who Jesus Christ is and what Christ has done in your life? As we're acting like the world, we're corrupting the evidence. We need to keep a purity about this evidence. That's why it's, it's so frail that I would hold that dear, this new life that God has given me, that I would hold that dear because I need to understand how God uses that life. Yeah, I may look at this life and think, what's the big deal? But maybe somebody's looking at the life and thinking, well, if he could do it to that person who's no big deal, maybe he could do it in my life as well. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone, anyone, that means everyone, anyone who desires to come after me, let him deny himself, let him deny his fleshly life, take up his cross, the place where our flesh, our will, our desires nailed to, and follow me. Follow me in like manner. So as we follow Christ, we follow Christ's manner of life. We follow the things that the Lord has called us to and told us to do and how to live this life. So outwardly, it was obvious that this man was with Jesus Christ. We are with Jesus in direct proportion to our self-denial, our time in his word, and prayer. Always boils down to those simple, basic things of a Christian life. That's how people will see that we have been with Christ. Secondly, is the convicting nature of the evidence. Verse 10, But the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also. Also, Christ and Lazarus. The evidence that Lazarus represents has hit them to the heart. So again, as you're, as you're living that, that, that Christian life, that life that reflects Jesus Christ, again, there's going to be people coming, but there's also going to be people yelling. There's going to be people who are contrary to you. And again, that's a good way. It's a good check to know that you're exercising your gifting. It's a good check to know that you're exhibiting Christ. As you see people coming into the kingdom, but also learn to look at those who reject you as proof of Christ in you. Again, all who desire to live godly are going to suffer persecution. And so when you see that persecution, embrace that persecution. Because that shows that you're living a life that reflects Christ. And don't be the person... You have not been called to convict anybody. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit through you. I guarantee you, if you go out there with the mindset of convicting people, then people are just going to avoid you and it's just going to close their minds to the gospel message. But when you go out there, and as always, we don't have to manipulate this. We don't have to add to it. And we definitely don't subtract from it. 
You just simply go out and live the life that Christ has called you to. When given the opportunity, you share the gospel. And it's hopefully that your life opens the door to the sharing of the gospel. But let God have his perfect way. Let God have its perfect timing. But you also need to be sensitive to when that time arises and you need to be prepared for it. And so our senses have to be tuned to what God has. And so we've got this man, Lazarus. He's contrary to the world. He's with Christ. He's sitting there at that table. He's having fellowship with Christ. And he's a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's hitting them deep down to their very core when the Jews look at the truth of the evidence that they see. What it is is they see their guilt. And what are they trying to do? They keep trying to kill it off. But it's like putting your finger in the dike. You can't stop the flood as it's come. And we know that to be true. Although they martyred a lot of people, the gospel flooded throughout the known world. If there's truly a Christian being martyred every five minutes, I pray that we would see a flood of the gospel into this world as these people stand for their faith. Lastly, there is the delicate nature of the evidence. There's the convicting nature of the evidence. And then the justifying nature of the evidence. How many people are there out there that believe in Christ on account of you and the evidence that you display? Again, there should be fruit seen in your life, through your life, and in your ministry. There should be people, you should be able to point to a work that God has done. Again, maybe it's what we would consider to be the negative, people come up against us, or the positive, people coming to Christ. But there should be people out there who have been affected by our witness. The picture here is of those who have heard the words of Christ, the gospel. Now, we see Lazarus first heard it. Where did he first hear the words of Christ? It was in John chapter 11, verse 43 through 44. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Jesus did, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave cloths, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Lazarus, come forth. He called them by name. The reason he called them by name, because he calls all of us in a very personal way. Remember Mary Magdalene? She was talking to this guy she thought was a gardener. She goes, where's my Lord? They've taken him away, and, and I don't know where. I mean, she's talking to Jesus Christ. She's looking at him. She's thinking that he's just the gardener. And then what does he do? He just simply speaks her name, Mary. That's all he said. And Rabboni. She understood who he was at that moment because there's that personal connection that Christ makes because he knows exactly who we are. He has that relationship and fosters that relationship even before we know it's in existence. And now we have the words come to life because of the physical witness of this man. The godly life that I am commanded to live is not a test. It's not really even a trial It's not a religious act. It's what God uses as evidence of what he's able to do in this world. I know if he takes the church out, even the rocks will cry out. But I can't live my life that way. I can't always be of the mindset of putting it off on somebody else, thinking somebody else is going to step up, thinking somebody else is going to stand for Christ. 
each and every one of us needs to stand in a gap. We've got opportunities to stand in the gap because the gap keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, I'm going to vote Republican. I already voted Republican. I put my ballot in the mail last week, I think it was. The reason I voted for a Republican is not because of the candidate. I, I see no biblical candidate here. The reason I voted was because of the platform of the Republican Party. Is it perfect? It's not perfect at all. But it's the best biblical platform that I see that is out there. And so it starts in things like that. Christian influence as it goes in to the, to the veins of our society. And as it enters into the veins, it has that effect. And it's going to have a cleansing effect, but it's also going to have an irritating effect, if you will. It's going to have that effect that is going to rile some people up. But isn't it worth it to rile some people up if some get saved? If some get right with Jesus Christ? As we see the kingdom of God continue to move forward. We're told in Romans chapter 13 that we are to honor the governing authorities because they're put there by the hands of God. The Apostle Paul wrote that while Nero was the governing authority. And you may look at the people who are running for office right now and think they're insane. Well, Nero really was insane. But nonetheless, he understood what was necessary to be that witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they have been with Jesus. How do we know when somebody's been with Jesus? How do you know when you've been with Jesus? I know there's the born-again experience, but what I see is I see faith, trusting in God for that which I can't see. I see the world, and the world can be frightened. I see the opposition, it can be overwhelming, but our faith, our faith is to be in God. Hope, my hope is in the future. The apostles, their hope was in the future. Why? Because they were willing to stand in the gap, to give their lives for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And then love, love should be the basis of the activities of our lives, our Christian life in this present day. All that we do needs to come from a spirit of sacrificial love. Will you be willing to sacrifice, and I'll let you fill in the gap, for revival within this country or across the world? What are we willing to do? I mean, if this is truly truth, as we proclaim it to be, what am I willing to do in light of this? What am I willing to give in light of this? I've got to consider these things. I can't tell you what to do. You need to pray. We need to pray. We all need to pray. I'm, I'm, I'm part of this too. We all need to pray. And I need to ask God, God, what is it that you desire of me? What is it that you expect of me? Father, I pray that we would truly have that mindset. And it's just not a one-time question. It needs to be a continuous question that we all ask, that we all seek after, Father. And we pray that you would reveal that to us, that, Lord, we would be a people who not only desire to be in your perfect will, but come to the knowledge that we are and then move forward in that. And so, Lord, again, you do great things through common people, and we're definitely common people here Father, do great things in us and through us. I pray, Father, that just the, the election is, is, is next week, but, Father, it's something the week after that and the week after that. May we just continue to persevere in our Christian lives throughout our Christian lives. And so, Father, just be glorified. We just pray, Lord, that you would go before us. 
pray, Father, that you would enable us and use us for your glory, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We all be stand, please. <clears throat> Sunday morning, we're going to be back in the book of Malachi. We'll be finishing Malachi up. And then Sunday evening, I've decided to start the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, just the, the balance of human wisdom versus the wisdom of God and how it relates to mankind and how mankind relates to it. I invite you to come out and join us on Sunday evening. We finished Isaiah, what was it, two weeks ago. God bless you guys. Have a great rest of the week.